because we might never find out their names. They might be dead. They might be killed because nobody are out to call for their release, and and their names can can never be revealed in public eyes. And this makes me so sad. And that's what kept me going until today. For those who would name could be buried in a concentration camp forever. Ah. Hello, star seeds, and welcome to episode 12 of Musings from the Rainbow Sparkle Palace. This is Rainbow coming to you from the library on Berea College's campus. We are recording live today because attempts at recording previously have not worked, so you're just gonna bear with me and enjoy the live feel of this. So today's episode, we are so honored. I am so honored to bring you an interview with Jahar Ilham. She is the daughter of Uyghur scholar Ilham Todi, who uh, has been imprisoned in China. Uh, he's a moderate voice who was dedicated to bring, bridging the gap between the Uyghur people and the Han Chinese. So in China, this is kind of similar to perhaps in the Civil War, for example, trying to unite whites and blacks. And he was imprisoned in 2014 for his activism, even though he was considered quite a moderate voice at that time. Um, so Jahar just recently graduated from Indiana University. She's currently in D.C., and she just graduated with a degree in political science, Arabic, and Central Eurasian studies. Yes, at, and right now she's working with two award-winning documentary filmmakers on a film about Uyghurs and the concentration camps that are currently um, by the hundreds in China, where one to three plus million Uyghur people, um, these are a peaceful Muslim people who live in East Turkestan, the Uyghur region, currently known as Xinjiang, China, for thousands of years has been occupied by China, and China has been, in recent years, increasingly pushing them out with increasing violence and increasing extremity. Um, and I first heard about this, I think, in passing on online a year ago, and I don't think it really registered for me. I, I reshared a video of a Muslim woman talking about what was happening in China, but it didn't really, it didn't really register to me. Um, it wasn't really made real until very recently. I actually spent a Sunday um, after writing a song about it and releasing it for um, all benefits to go to this documentary that uh, Jahar is working on. The documentary is called Static and Noise. It should be out this week, um, this week, no, this year. <laughs> and um, so I spent a Sunday just searching on YouTube, um, Uyghur, that's U-Y-G-H-U-R, and what's happening in Xinjiang, that's X-I-N-J-I-A-N-G, China, and, um, it's, it's hella depressing, y'all. It's beyond any kind of evil that I have, no, I'd say it's about on par with the, the most severe evils that I've ever imagined, that I've ever had in my worst nightmares, and what makes it even worse is China's access to increasing levels of com complex technology. So what we have happening right now is that um, the Chinese Communist Party has checkpoints set up 
every, I don't know, several, like, hundred meters or so in Xinjiang, and um, along with, you know, every 20 meters or so in a, in a public space, you'll have cameras, which are scanning constantly, um, have advanced facial recognition technology that they use to track every person's movements, but all of this technology is greatly amplified in Xinjiang, um, where they're treating the Uyghurs like terrorists, um, simply because of one incident years ago when the Uyghurs had an uprising against the Chinese Communist Party and their invasion. It's akin to what China did in Tibet. And you'll see there is like, there are like two clips that you'll see over and over and over that the Chinese Communist Party is using, um, where you see um, a bus being shaken and the windshield falling out. And they're using that um, public protest to justify their systematic coming in and kidnapping in the middle of the night um, of these people and placing them in concentration camps, uh, as well as stopping people at checkpoints on the streets. They will check your cell phone. If you have any religious material on your phone that make it look like you're a Muslim, they will call you a terrorist. They put you in these concentration camps, which, which they call re-education camps, in which they are brainwashing people um, to submit to ideas of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, there's a documentary, it's super creepy, where they have, they make these people line up in um, military lines. I've never, I've never seen such um, robotic precision in the human body as, as that of the Chinese military. And um, they make them repeat, you know, I am Chinese, and uh, long live uh, Xi Jinping, and um, they have to sing Chinese songs before they're allowed to eat, and if they don't, they will be beaten or electrocuted, um, and they're given two minutes in the restroom. If they take longer, they will be electrocuted. Um, as soon as they are admitted into these centers, there's a great amount of technology that's being used that is extra scary. If you're, if you're a sensitive listener, you're probably going to want to check out for this episode, just FYI. Um, just do that for yourself because stuff's about to get pretty heavy. Um, so when these people are admitted into these concentration camps, um, they will do a facial scan, they'll do a voice scan. I'm not sure why they do that part. Um, and they will also take a DNA sample. And if your blood matches that of um, someone who is currently requesting an, an organ donor um, in China, they will kill you and um, use your organs. They call it organ harvesting, which I think is the most grotesque phrase I may have ever heard. And because of this, China has reduced the wait list for organ donors from a couple years down to a few weeks, which in any other circumstance might sound like a good thing, but it's absolutely mortifying. Um, just so dis just grotesque and disgusting. Um, and the women are given injections every day. I know this because of a documentary where they spoke with a woman who was released. Eventually, some of the people are released. Um, and um, she said that they give you injections like every week and they would have to stick their hand through a, the bars of their cell and they would receive um, an, a shot. And the women realized that the shots made them 
not no longer have their periods. It also made them not care about anything. And I've wondered in, uh, in retrospect if, if those weren't um, birth control shots. I don't know. Um, because I do know that if you're pregnant, they'll, they'll test you if you're a woman when you're admitted. If you're pregnant, they will immediately give you an abortion. And um, a forced abortion, of course, because they don't want... Um, any more weaker people. They, they're trying to wipe them out. It's genocide. And the way that the Chinese Communist Party has tried to cover this up and paint it as their form of combating terrorism is so gaslighting, so manipulative, so fucked up, and so transparent. Anyone with two little bits of logic to love, to rub together, can see through it. There's a really disturbing documentary, um, you can find it on YouTube, where one of these concentration camps allotted, I believe it was an American or perhaps a British, um, entity, journalist company to come and tour the facility and interview people for a day. And it was very apparent when they arrived that the prisoners had been prepared and had been, um, had been trained and had been threatened, um, to behave in a certain way and, um, perform, um, and pretend like it was just a school and they were learning, um, you know, learning Chinese and learning, uh, Chinese cultural dances and they were very happy and they were, um, repenting of their sinner's ways of being a terrorist and being Muslim and now they're going to be atheists just like China wants. I don't think there's anything wrong with atheism, but there's definitely something wrong with pushing it on people. Um, it's just as sick as evangelicals. Uh, that stuff burns me up. Um, it's, it's some kind of evil. It's some other kind of evil. And anyhow, um, so Jahar is brilliant, and she's a speaker, and she actually released a book um, in 2015, and the University of New Orleans Press released it. It's called Jahar Ilham, an Uyghur's Fight to Free Her Father. And uh, last year she spoke at the Ministerial to Advance Religious Studies, which was hosted by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Um, she's been invited to the White House to speak. She's spoken in front of Congress, and this is all, you know, she's, what, about 21, 22 years old at this point, and all of these, um, no, how old is she? She's 24. Sorry. Sorry, Jahar. <laughs> um, and she says, you know, when she was 18 and saw her father taken from her at the airport in Beijing, um, she was not the strong woman she is today. I mean, in, in their culture at that time, she was still considered a child. And she's really been forced to grow up, and she's become such a strong force for activism. I mean, I, can't, I cannot imagine at the age of 24 and even earlier, you know, speaking in front of Congress and um, going to the White House and dealing with, I mean, it's, am it's amazing. I'm so grateful that she has the power and influence that um, that she does, and what a beautiful thing, and uh, to to be birthed out of such a tragedy. Um, 
She says the last that she was able to hear from her father was over two years ago. Anyone in her family has been banned from hearing from him since then. And, um, I mean, may we take a moment and, and feel compassion because these are our brothers and sisters. I don't care what ideas you have about Muslims. I don't care what ideas you have about um, foreigners. These are our brothers and sisters. And what happens to them is also happening to us. Um, that, to me, is an irrefutable... an irrefutable philosophy. Um, we are all connected. And their suffering is our suffering, and their liberation is our liberation. So, it is with great honor that I bring you this interview today. Additionally, I really want to, okay, this is very important. Let's, let's do this. So, on the, on the website today, you will see on the show notes uh, at rainbowstarmusic.com slash episode 12, you will find the show notes, which include a list, which was very hard to come by, which Jahar supplied to me, of Fortune 500 companies that have been um, documented to be dealing with the um, labor, slave labor of the concentration camps in China. And so that is on the website, but I pulled out several of the big names that I recognized to share with you, because also the font on that is kind of small, it's kind of hard to see. So I'm just going to throw out these names, and these are people that we absolutely need to boycott if possible. Are you ready? You're probably not going to be surprised. All right, here we go. Exxon Mobil, Amazon, General Motors, a.k.a. GM, Ford Motor, GE, General Electric, Boeing, yeah, for airplanes, Dell, the computer company, PepsiCo, yep, your Pepsi drinks, Dow DuPont, the chemical company, FedEx, HP, I'm guessing that's Hewlett Packard, I believe that's Hewlett Packard, who actually made the laptop that I'm using today, Cisco, they are a uh, food services company, and they have uh, their tomato products that are created by slave labor in Xinjiang that they are purchasing, Honeywell, I believe they make um, appliances, large appliances. Coca-Cola, Nike, 3M, the office supplies company. Heinz, Tomato, Halliburton, ugh, the gas and oil company, natural gas and oil. General Mills, specifically Haagen-Dazs, Goodyear Tire, Land O'Lakes, yep, the butter. Estee Lauder, the makeup company, Xerox, Hilton Hotels, Campbell Soup. Avon, Adidas, Esprit, Gap, H&M, Ikea, Calvin Klein, and Tommy Hilfiger. Shame on them. And so, here we have a perfect example of part of the reason why a lot of people have not even heard about this. A lot of people aren't talking about it. China has a formidable stronghold on the global economy. And I just named some of the biggest damn companies on the planet. 
And they're sure as hell doing everything they can not to speak out about it because their profits are on the line. And, you know, people have been lamenting the fact that Muslim countries are not speaking out about this, but they're on the line as well. I mean, if they don't have great military defense and if they don't have great economic defense against China, if they're dependent on China in any way, they have they have to keep their mouths shut to survive and so luckily there is a bill that we talk about um in this interview from the US that i don't know what the current state of it is it has passed the senate once i believe the house as well and i'm not sure what um the recent state of it was if it's passed the senate yet or not but it is for the united states to request that, that china close the concentration camps and I did see on the news that Xi Jinping was condemning the US for uh, for for saying that we may condemn them and saying it would be a grave mistake and how dare we tell them how to handle their terrorist issue whatever China um, they're so they're what they're doing as well is moving great amounts of Han Chinese people into Xinjiang the Uyghur region um, just just by the thousands and thousands. They're just moving them in, tearing down the Uyghur, traditional Uyghur houses that are just beautiful, beautiful, old, old, old buildings and using slave labor, forcing the Uyghur people to rebuild them into these modern day complexes and turning it into this like Tokyo kind of looking, uh, I guess it's not a proper um, analogy like Beijing just looking like some kind of city and like shopping malls and moving Han Chinese people in there and paying Han Chinese farmers to come and farm there and um, trying to advertise Xinjiang is like this is a new it place like um, you better come get it while it lasts because here's the bottom line the Uyghur region has minerals that are rare as fuck and um just like what's happening with uh, Greenland, there are there are rare minerals that are highly profitable and highly coveted, and that, if you ask me, is the entirety of the region. That's that's at the basis of the reason why China is doing this. It, it doesn't have to do with religion or anti-religion. Um, it has to do with power and control and gaining as much um, financial power as possible, and. Um, so additionally, here's another thing, just trigger warning, um, sexual violence. So the Chinese Communist Party is replacing some of the men that they kidnap with their Han Chinese men. So these Uyghur women, um, are being forced to live with and being raped by Han Chinese men who the Chinese Communist Party is appointing as their new husbands. Like, what a sick, twisted thing. And they're committing suicide because... What a horrific reality to live. Rather than live with these people, they are, they're com committing suicide, um, seeing no way out. And it's been a large percentage of the population at this point that have been, that have been kidnapped. And um, children as well. Um, they're, God. In one of the documentaries, they, they go by one of the, what they, the Chinese Communist Party calls a kindergarten. But there are just thousands of children whose parents have 
been sent to the concentration camps and the Chinese Communist Party is quote quote unquote re-educating them and basically brainwashing them. It's brainwashing and it's torture that these people are being put through and it has to stop right now. I know for some of us in America this kind of thing sounds far-fetched. It may sound unreal and certainly the extremity of it and the pain of it, the extremity of how painful it is, may make it difficult to accept and to hear and or to believe or to allow into our psyche. But I'm telling you, all signs point to this is 100% happening and we, we do have things that we can do to stop it. We can write to our congressmen just simply Google who's my congressman, who's my state representative, and it takes two minutes, 24-7, day or night, you can leave them a voice message and say, um, I want you to do everything that you can to stop China's concentration camps from continuing. It's as simple as that. You can do that right now. That's something that you can do. And also you can donate to the documentary. Um, there's a song that I wrote recently. It's my recent release called Not All Men. And it talks about many of the horrific things that men are doing on the planet, including China's genocide on our Uyghur brothers and sisters. And 100% of the proceeds from that track go to the documentary Static and Noise that, um, that Jahar is helping create. You can find that at uh, rainbowstarmusic.com. Um, no, that's not right. The best way to find it is this is rainbowstar.bandcamp.com or you can find me on Instagram and it's in my um, profile. So Rainbow Star Music on Instagram and just go to the link in bio if you want to support that documentary. Interestingly enough, that documentary is unfindable when you search it on Google. Um, I, I do think that that probably has something to do with the fact that Google I undoubtedly has... Um, has their little money-grubbing fingers in China and doesn't want to stand up and speak out against this. And we also saw what happened um, when that was in a, a manager of the NBA spoke out against this last year. And we saw what happened. Uh, the NBA was boycotted in China, but China will never actually completely get rid of the NBA um, because it, they, you know, they're... Their men uh, rely on it, and we know how China values men. Um, there are little boys in China that are just absolutely basketball crazy, and it's like their one release from the tyranny and oppression of that just rigid, super-controlled lifestyle. Um, so, with that, I think, is there anything else that I want to say with, to you? I just want to say again, um, I did share in the last episode very briefly about the talk that I saw where um, Dr. Reverend Bernard Lafayette, who was a colleague and dear friend of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, was speaking and he was optimistic. And I want to I want to tell you, I don't think I shared with, with you this, but he said the reason why he's optimistic is that today he looks around and he sees women stepping up, 
women being revered, women being honored, women being put in places of power and leadership. And that is why he has hope for the future. And Jahar just really embodies that in so many ways. What a powerful young woman in the face of such terrifying adversity, in the face of opposition from one of and arguably the most powerful entities on our planet is speaking up and speaking out and using her voice and every ounce of fight in her to see that these injustices be stopped and see these wrongs be righted. I mean, mic drop. (laughs) So without further ado, it is my great honor to bring to you my interview with Jahar Ilham, activist, author, and daughter of imprisoned Uyghur scholar Ilham Toti. All right, so thank you so much for meeting me today and the introduction that I have given people. What's learn about you is that you're an Uyghur woman and a student currently in Washington, D.C. How cool. And um, that your father, unfortunately, has been imprisoned, in my understanding, for five years or more um, in China for his activism. And at the beginning of this year, was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for that same activism that China so hates. To, uh, to be more accurate, uh, after, after a month and a half, it will be the sixth year of my father put, being put in a prison uh, in China. Um, he was charged for uh, being a separatist and someone who advocates for, for violence and for being a terrorist, uh, which none of those statements are true about my father. And actually, my father was, was very well-known or still well-known because of his moderate voice and because of his peaceful suggestions towards the Chinese government uh, in order to help uh, fostering dialogue dialogue between the Han Chinese and Uyghurs and other ethnic minority groups, actually. But instead of uh, cooperating with someone like my dad, the Chinese government chose to put my father into a prison and sentenced him to life. Not, and the last time I saw my father in person was 2013, February 2nd, at the Beijing International Airport. And the last time I talked to him was 2014, January 14th, the day before he was arrested. And the last time I heard about him was 2017, um, around this time, in around uh, winter time. Uh, sorry, 2017, January, around January. That was the last time I heard about my father because that was the period when my, uh, when the Chinese government stopped allowing family visits to, to my father, for my father. So none of my family members were allowed to visit him since 2017. And we don't know how he is doing. We don't know if he's locked up in the same prison room. We don't know if he's been treated well, and we don't even know if he's been alive since the Chinese government denying or rejecting us to visit, to any of our family members to visit him. And family law, uh, also the lawyers, uh, 
but the lawyers are not allowed to visit him either. That was way before 2017. Since the 2015, I I would say uh, um, after the first appeal, after the rejection of the first appeal, um, the 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 prison the cell uh, the people there don't allow uh, uh, my father's lawyer to visit him anymore. And so terrifying. I want to say thank you so much for for sharing your story and for speaking out. And I know for a lot of people it's absolutely terrifying to do so because the Chinese Communist Party is seems so far reaching and um like digitally they have a lot of weapons at their disposal. Um but I think it's really it's absolutely important. The only way to stop it is for people to speak out. So um, yes. I'm really glad that you're doing that and I'm I feel honored that you are taking the time with us here. Um, I wondered if you could share some of how, and I, I, also, I don't think we said your father's name, but Ilham Toti, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, yes perfect. Yeah. Ilham Toti, yeah. yes. Say his name. Um, so I wonder, could, could you share how this has affected you and your family? Like, Sure, sure, definitely. Um, so 2013, um, as I mentioned, February 2nd was the last time I saw my father. Um, at the Beijing International Airport. I was 18 years old. Um, 18, this age is a very tricky um, age. Um, in U.S., people kind of consider you as an adult. But in China, you're still considered as a kid. It's a cultural thing. Um, I was just a teenager, and <clears throat> I didn't speak any English. Um, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I was a freshman student in college. I just finished high school. My father was invited as a visiting scholar by Indiana University, and he asked me, uh, it's your winter break. Do you want to come to the United States with me just for three weeks or four weeks uh, so you can see how America is like, and then go back to your school? In the beginning, I didn't want to go because I wanted to go to this prom thing with my friends, and I rejected. But my father said, I think you should go. You should open your eyes and see the world. And he insisted, so I said, okay. But at the airport, he was arrested. And because of my young age and because of me not knowing English, not knowing anybody at that time, the security at the airport, um, the, the, the police, they thought I could cause no harm. They kind of ignored me and let me leave. So I managed to escape out of the country by myself while my father was kept there. Um, I was locked up in Chicago one more time because my visa status requires me to enter the country with my father um, because my visa status um, was J2, family member of J1, the visiting scholar, and I only am considered legal with my father's presence. Um, I almost got denied for entering the country until I found a name card in my pocket. Um, I didn't know what people were saying to me because I had no English, but I did see their signs of calling. So I, I assumed they were asking me if I have anyone to call, but I just had that one perfect name card in my pocket, which was the person who actually invited my father to Indiana University. And he happened to have worked in the government before. So he pulled some strings and called some people and 
I got into the country. And that's how I made it here. That was the last time I saw my father. After three days, the Chinese government officials released my father um, after three days. Uh, During that three days, they questioned him and beaten him. But he was set free. Not free completely, but he was put under house arrest for 11 months until 2014, January 15th. During that 11 months, me and my father, we Skyped every single day, almost three times a day, sometimes up to five times a day, just to make make sure each other are safe. We don't know if the next minute one of us will be suddenly disappear or be taken to somewhere. So we always called each other. We even make sure what we eat that day, what we ate that day, what we're wearing that day, who we met, and what kind of homework I did and what I learned. We just try to try to keep each other like we we're not we're just trying to feel like we're we're not apart. Before coming to the US I've never been that far away from my family. My kindergarten, my elementary school, my middle school, my high school was they were all five to fifteen minutes walking distance from my home. I did travel uh, to uh, Korea or the United States once uh, when I was little, but it was with with my family members, uh, with or with my school. I've never been out somewhere this far on the other side of the world by myself. I just feels very strange, and with my personality at that time, I I have to be honest, it's kind of shameful, but I was not a strong girl. I was not. Um, I cried all the time. I missed. I had homesick. I missed school. I fought with my father. So why did you make me come come to the United States? He was the one who forced me to come to the U.S. at the airport. He said you should go. This country treats you like this. Do you still want to stay here? I'd rather you sweep the street in the U.S. than you stay here. And he pushed me away. And I was blaming my father for 11 months until he was arrested. But now, when I think think back, think what happened in the past, I think that was probably the best decision he had ever ever made for me. And now, sadly, I'm the only person who is kind of considered as as um, safe in my family um, because all of except me, every single member of my family. They're living in China now, and there and some of them have already been charged, been put in prison. My cousin has been charged for sentence for ten years for having my father's photo and his article in her phone. She was on her way to shop, and she just when she passed one of the checkpoints, which is a very normal thing in 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 back in Uyghur region, they they ask you to deposit your phone, they upload and and download data from your phone and that's when they found out my father's photo and his article in her phone and they, the police asked her why do you have this terrorist information she said he's my uncle and she was sentenced to 10 years and I have other families who have been friends families neighbors who have been sent to camps and those people, we don't, I don't even know where they are, how they're doing, or if they're even alive. Just like, I don't know if my father is alive. Yes, and 2014, January 15th, when the Chinese
Czech government blocking the Czech government officials, policemen. I don't know who exactly they are, but they broke into my apartment in Beijing, over 20 people. Only my father and my two younger bro two younger brothers were at home. One was at age of four, another one was at age of seven. Very young, very little. They broke in in front of them and took my father away in front of their eyes and left them home alone. Um, my stepmother was at work. She received a phone call from the neighbors because the neighbors uh, saw so many people and they got scared and called my mom. I called my stepmom and asked what, what happened and she immediately came home and found my two brothers were home alone. And January 2014, I did not decide to speak up because I, I hoped, I assumed this could be like any other time, like what happened in the past. In the past, there's so many times policemen came and took my father away for house arrest in a suburb of somewhere or another city so many times. Sometimes even including me and my two little brothers, we were taken away to suburbs to lock up as, as house arrest for over a month. So I hoped that this is just like this was just like that. I hoped and I waited and I waited and I waited until April. I couldn't just sit there and wait because there was no news, no search warrant, no, nothing. And no, even not, no reason was given. All kinds of questions came to, to my mind. I don't know who to ask. I don't know how to ask. And I just know I could not just sit there and wait anymore. Because according to the international law, or even Chinese law, you cannot lock up any person for more than three months without any reason. And it was more than three months. In April, I finally decided to do something. And that was when I decided to testify in front of Congress, end of April. And that's my start, and that was how I started the advocacy work. I still don't like politics. I hate politics so much deep in my bones. But I have to now be so involved with this just to save my family. If I have any chance, I would stay so away from it. If I have any, if, if I can get have a chance, I would not come close to politics of this dirty mud for every one minute. But now I have to do it for my family. And I really, I wish one day I don't have to do it again. I don't have to do it anymore. I really wish so. I wish that for you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really hope so. So, in recent episodes I shared with my followers about what's happening in Xinjiang and I wonder if you, if you equate these two things like what's happening in Xinjiang with the concentration camps and mm -hmm. our Uyghur brothers and sisters do you think these two things are how do you relate the, the two I guess is the question how do you, sorry could you repeat your question again do you relate what's happening with your father with what the Chinese Communist Party is doing in um, in Xinjiang with Yes. Um, I think everything, every issue, every incident, every arrest, arrest—it's—it's it's linked to each other back in the region. 
my father was one of the very first people who got arrested, and then he was like one of the like the key start. After when I remember uh, someone was telling me he managed to flee um, to the U.S. after my father's arrest. When he saw my father was arrested, he said, "This is the start, and we cannot stay here anymore." Because if my father, of such a moderate voice, like my father, got arrested, then other people are not safe anymore. So he managed to skip out of the country with his entire family. He sold the house. He made the smart move, but so many other people did not realize it, and they got locked up in camps or put in prison. There's so many other scholars, intellectuals, just like my father. Some of them did not even ever mention anything about the situation in back in Xinjiang or back in Uyghur region. No, they they just simply maybe promoting the Uyghur language or Uyghur Uyghur culture. All of these people, they're locked up just for simply being being who they are. And their job might be translating, or their their jobs might be uh, uh, some like calligraphy or or um, singing, and, and, and what they did is just to sing in their language, write in their language. And this is, could be their crime to end up in a camp or a prison room. Just like my father. The only crime he ever did was to peacefully speak up of what was happening in Uyghur region and how this, those things could be helped, could be improved. This is all they all he did. And so many people, just like my father, are locked up. There's the president of uh, Xinjiang University, Tashbala Tayyip, and the, the famous scholar, Raila Dawood, and so many, so many others. And so many others we don't even know, they might not be well known like those people I just mentioned. They don't, they might not have family members in the overseas who can call out and call out for their relief. And those people who we do not know their names, they're locked up as well. And this makes me so sad because we might never find out their names. They might be dead. They might be killed because nobody are out to call for their release. And and their names can, can never be revealed in public eyes. And this makes me so sad. And that's what kept me going until today. For those whose names could be buried in a concentration camp forever. Absolutely. Um, I can relate to that feeling also. Um, so let's talk a bit about what can be done. I know that there's a bill that has recently passed the Senate, yay, um, that is on its way to the House for the United States to basically ask China to close the concentration camps in Xinjiang. Yeah. So that's huge, and so could you talk a little bit about that, and then we'll also talk about the documentary that you're working to create, and I've, I've, I've told my followers a little bit about that, but we can go into more detail. Sure, sure. So for about the bill, um, it did pass the Senate in the beginning, but then the one they passed the House, is a, it's the um, edited version of the one that passed the Senate. So they have to pass the Senate again in order to put it in the president's office, on the um, president's table. So what we need to do is to, with all the impeachment, all these New Year things going on, it's it's very difficult, we know, 
but it's very important that more people can be involved and call their representatives and so let the Senate pass the edited version. It shouldn't be a difficult thing. It just takes time and really just more people pushing it, it could shorten the time and we really do hope before uh, before the election, before all the whatever, the impeachment, all the other world news that is going on and I just I just hope this could be passed and that's that will require people's help. As many people calling their representatives and, and asking for them to quickly sign the bill to so we can push it and put it on president's office so he can sign, hopefully. Um that's one thing. And also there's so many other things. There are petitions are going on. Um I was just post posting about it on Instagram. There's this White House uh, petition. Only uh, um, so far, uh, 90,000 uh, signatures. We need 100,000. There's so far 91, I think, 91,000 signatures. We're still more needed, a few thousand more needed, and then um, um, not more, not a few thousand, sorry. My math is bad. But still more needed, and and also there's this um, um, a petition for the um, German government, and um, it, so far it had already overreached the required uh, petitions. But well, we we never we never reject more signatures, right? We we always want for more people's support, and there's so many. I'm I'm sure there's so many other petitions, and these petitions just take. Each one takes less than, not even two minutes, less than one minute. And people could just sign it on their way, buying coffee, or when they try to kill time watching Netflix. They, they can they can sign those. And this is, the, it might seem nothing, it's just a name to them, but it could possibly help a soul in a camp. This could possibly be the leading, leading key uh, factor to close a camp in the future. This could be one. And we don't know which is the best solution to help, but every solution is, the, in my opinion, every solution, every every way is the best way to help. So there's no better one or worse one. That's why I, I, I would encourage everyone to try to sign those petitions, call their representative. It takes just less than one minute. And uh, and also they could, uh, for the scholars, they could, signed statements so far over um, uh, seven or now I think we have over 800 um, uh, signatures from scholars from 42 different countries and we still need more and more people joining that statement and also people can call their Red Cross uh, office and then also stop by people can stop buying products that are made made in concentration camps I'm not saying stop buying things made in China well, that's not realistic. We all know that um, products made in, made in China are cheap and, and, and nice and pretty. I understand that. So, and it's hard to avoid, of course. But you, I'm, I, I assure you, you will be able to live without the products that are not made in concentration camps. You will be able to. There are so many alternative uh, products you can you can choose from. Um, and there are lists uh, you can find online that uh, shows those companies that are importing or exporting or just benefiting from the concentration camps. And they have this 
their factories uh, in the region. So please stop buying those um, products or call your government officials to suggest them um, uh, suggest them to put sanctions on those companies. It's not only Chinese companies, there are so many Western companies as well. So please stop buying stuff for them and those could all be the ways that would be very helpful. Um, as the documentary film. So we all know news articles are helpful. People read it um, on their way buying a coffee, they drink coffee and read the news and next news, next news, next news. We all know that. And you might, those news capture people's attention for one day, for one week, for two weeks. But for the long term, I realize there needs something, there is something that we needed to be there forever. We needed that people can go and search for it and, and it's always there available for them. And instead of uh, being refreshed every day with all kind of different uh, distractions, different news to distract them, and I, I realize this needs to be documented, and this needs to be recorded in a movie or in a book. Well, I, I, there are people working on it for as a, for, for for writing a book. Um, we pers I personally am also working with people to work on a book about my father as well. But this documentary film is not only about my father, but also about the camps. And not only about the camps, but also it's, it's, it covers lots of stories, and those storylines connect to each other. It's fascinating. Those people who suffered from uh, June 4th Tiananmen Square incident, those Chinese Christians, those human rights warriors, and those Uyghur people who are locked up in camp or prison, they're all interconnected. It's fascinating. And I've never, I, I, when I was little, I was always into those short film production thing. I, I joined them, but I never participated in this uh, entire filmmaking process before. So this, this time, I, it's crazy to see how things happened more than 50 years ago or 40 years ago could be related to what is happening now. It is crazy. And, I really do hope, um, and we're still trying to uh, raise some funds for this movie. We we're actually wrapping it up this year. Um, we we're planning to, um, to 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 release it soon, but then things escalated so quickly with the camps. We realized, oh, there are more camp survivors. We could be interviewing them and put them uh, their information in the film. There's so many more things we can do, so we we have to extend it and. That's 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 why I've been doing the fundraising since the old money ran out, and we're still trying to see if we can have more donors willing to help uh, join the cause and to make this film become a better one, and and hopefully can be um, a good way to document what happened back there in in China. Yeah, not, only, not only in Uyghur region, but also with other people, with other ethnic minorities, with the Han Chinese, with the other uh, religious groups. Yes, and I also want to point out that I noticed that the GoFundMe for this documentary, which I was searching for by searching GoFundMe and Static and Noise, which is the company, that um, two award-winning documentary filmmakers that you're working with, I could not find it when I did a Google search for it. I 
do suspect that that has something to do with uh, the po politics behind it, that Google is intentionally hiding it. I could be wrong, but it is findable uh, right now if you go to my Instagram, Rainbow Star Music, click on the link in bio, click Help Squeakers, and uh, is there a link that you have on your profile as well? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that people can find it on Google, but that's it might just be me. I hope it's just yeah. me. Also, um, we have about one minute left. I told you thirty minutes. I just want to okay. just want to let you know. I want to be respectful of your time. So, how do you feel about the amount of time that we have left? Um, I'm okay with it. I'm I'm free today. So, so it's, okay. it's up to you if you would like to. Yeah. I would like yeah. to extend it. Let's say like 10 minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so what else was I thinking? Um, sorry, let me look at my notes really quick. Oh, I just I just wanted to mention the Static and Noise is um, the name of the film. Um, static and Noise. It's cool. Really okay. Fun. Yes, it's the name of the film. And our um, production team, it's the... Uh, an award-winning team, actually. Um, they have uh, produced films before, but I tried to keep their names uh, not out um, just just before the film release, just to be safe, you know. Um, so I've been trying to help. I, actually, in the beginning, I was just a, a small role in part of the film. That was the initial thing. But then I got more and more... Uh, involved, I personally donated <laughs> a bunch to this movie, and then and then I helped with translating, and then it just it, I couldn't help with being more involved. And I, I'm sure if anyone sees how those uh, how this movie works or how this movie uh, this film had been filmed, they will want to be more involved as well. And it's 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 great storyline, yeah. When do you expect the film to release and on what platforms? Like, how will people find it when it's out? Uh, it really depends on the funding. And also, um, because in order to in order to reach out to... The, 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 the thing is, so many um, survivors or people who shares, who are willing to, or who we are willing to include it into the film, they're not in the United States. They're all over the world. And in order to let the entire filming crew to fly to those countries and to stay there and film them, it, require, it requires lots of money. And the flight tickets nowadays are not very cheap. Um, that's that's the most cost cost costly um, uh, part for for the for the film part. And that's why we don't know. Um, it depends on the funding and depends on if. The availability of those people, if if they are willing to be in the film, some people they want to, and then they take their uh, word back because they feel not no safe not safe anymore. Some of them, it's just it's just very it's difficult. We but we do hope to uh, release it by the end of next year, 2020. Hopefully, hopefully, inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, is there is there anything do you think that has caused this to be like allowed to go on for as long as it has? Because I know that my understanding is that the concentration camps have been open for three years and has been going on for three years. And also when I think about it like and really look into it, the Chinese Communist Party has been 
like the deepest concept of evil that I can possibly fathom, like they surpass that mm-hmm. and have for eons. So I, this is this is maybe comp- like off the subject in a way, but I wonder if you have any ideas of like why has this been allowed to go on so long? I have no idea why this is allowed. I don't understand. Uh, I've tried to think it through so many times. Before I go to bed, after I wake up, I always I just lay there for ten minutes. Just think about what I did today and what is happening to the world and why this is happening to the world and why I'm doing this. I always just give my give myself a few minutes, ten to twenty minutes, just a single thing. Until now, I don't understand why this is allowed to be, this is this is allowed to be happening to people in 2019 or 2020. Why? How come this is allowed? How come? China is getting away. Well, now we are having more and more countries uh, joining the cause and, and condemning China for what it's doing. But I, I don't understand. I still don't understand how come the Chinese government officials are not feeling so ashamed for what they're doing, and how they're just they could just blindfold their their citizens' eyes because. The majority of the Chinese citizens in China, they have no idea what is going on because of the lack of uh, access to the media, to news, and the only news they have are Chinese propaganda. So it's it just it, it's, it drives me crazy sometimes. I don't understand why this is like this. Um, yeah, I really do hope um, we don't repeat the history again. Um, we know in the in the past it did not end well. What happened? A similar there were similar incidents before, and it did not end well. And I don't think it will end well now. And I really hope this can be fixed because I see it as a problem, and it needs to be fixed. Is there anything else that you wish people would know about what's happening in China right now? I just. Hope people can think one. Just imagine one thing. Uh, I remember one of the uh, reporters interview, interviewed me and asked me. Most of the inter- most of the interviews I done, the reporters asked me, "What would you like to say to your father?" They asked me like this. But in that interview, she asked me, "What would you like to say to the Chinese government official, whoever is giving the decision, or maybe the president?" So that was the first time I've been asked that, and I said, and I will. That thing I would like to say to everyone, whoever is hearing this, please take ten minutes, ten minutes of your time. Just imagine, close your eyes, put a picture, or put in a, like a short film or thing in your brain. Just Im- imagine a scene that your close family members, your father, your mother, your daughter, your son, they t- they're taken away in front of your eyes, get bitten, raped, or we don't know, all kinds of uh, tortures um, in front of you. Just imagine that for 10 minutes. Can you handle it? What do you feel about it? Do you accept it? Just this, this is just my question. Please spend 10 minutes and and say if you're okay with it. Are you okay with it? 
and this is the thing I want to ask the Chinese government officials and everyone on this on this planet, whoever is listening to this, to to just take the ten minutes of their life and try to do that. And if they think they cannot accept it, then please do something. Well, thank you so much, Johar. I wish you the best of luck in the rest of your semester. And thank you. Um, I'll definitely be in touch um, with all the information. There's a website that goes up for each um, episode, and this will probably be out on the 8th, but I'll get with you for sure about the exact date um, sure. and, and all the information. So I'll be emailing you and stuff. And I, I'm just sure. I'm sending you a big hug. And thank, you. thank you so much. Thank you. thank you so much for your willing to do this. Thank you. Absolutely. Hope you have a great weekend, dear. Thank you, you too. Happy holiday. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was our interview with Johar Ilham regarding the Chinese Communist Party and their abhorrent treatment of Muslims and the modern-day Holocaust that they have created and what we can do to stop it. There are going to be myriad links that you're going to want to check out for sure in the show notes regarding actions that you can take to end this. It is not a hopeless story. There is hope yet. We do have power, particularly when we are united. You can go to rainbowstarmusic.com slash podcast and scroll down and you'll find um, this episode. You can also just Google who's my representative, find their phone number. You can call them 24-7 and leave a voicemail. It takes two minutes and ask them to do anything they can to close the Chinese concentration camps. Again, there is a link in my Insta, instagram.com slash rainbowstarmusic. Just click in the bio, click on help Uyghurs and it's the first little button that comes up there. Hopefully that documentary will mobilize the voters and politicians to act to end this horrific, unspeakable violence. We all hoped that the Holocaust would not happen again, but it is happening right now. And we do have the power to stop it if we just band together and speak up and don't ever stop speaking up. My brothers and sisters, we have to step out of line. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Rainbow Star. And the background music is also written by me. New episodes release every Wednesday, so keep coming back. You're welcome to subscribe, rate, review, and share, and let others know that feminist voices are well worth hearing. Stay fierce, stay sparkly. P.S. And it's a rather important P.S. indeed. Musings from the Rainbow Sparkle Palace is financed almost entirely by your generous contributions. If you're gleaning valuable info from this podcast and would like to give back, I invite you to visit rainbowstarmusic.com slash podcast. Scroll down till you see the button that says buy rainbow some time and you can quickly via PayPal send some money to 
this podcast and I thank you so much. It means the world to me that this podcast means something to you.